This is Doc Vader, the most powerful clinician in the galaxy. You are listening to the Inside the Boards podcast. The force is moderately to severely strong with this one. Vader out. Welcome to the Inside the Boards podcast, the podcast dedicated to helping you learn to think like a question writer so you can study smarter, not harder, and succeed in medical school. And now here's your host, Patrick Beeman. Hello, and welcome to the Inside the Boards podcast. I'm your usual host, Patrick Beeman. Today, it's an entry in our audio blog, read by Chase DeMarco, host of our Medical Nemesis podcast, which is focused on memory hacks and accelerated learning techniques to help you remember the things you study. Just so we get into the content right away, check the show notes for information on our Listen, Learn, Live contest, where you can win the cost of your USMLE or Comlex registration fee, information about our All Audio QBank to help you learn on the go, links to our other podcast, including Physiology by Physio, The Medical Nemonist, and of course, our USMLE Step 1 Study Smarter series on our Study Smarter channel. As always, I truly, truly appreciate you guys listening, telling your friends, supporting us, and helping us continue, through your encouragement, the work that we do. So if you want to do a little extra dose of encouragement, please leave a review of our show and a rating on iTunes. Let's get right into it. Here are some biochemistry questions. From our All Audio QBank, powered by Exam Circle. A 38-year-old male is brought into the emergency room with mild confusion and disorientation to person, place, and time. His diet consists exclusively of salads and coffee. He is found to have an acute dermatitis on his forearms and has loose, watery diarrhea for the past three days. Which vitamin deficiency would you suspect in this patient? A. Cobalamin. B. Niacin, C. Thiamine, or D. Vitamin C? And the answer is B. Niacin. Niacin, aka nicotinic acid or vitamin B3, produces many biologically active derivatives, including NAD, NADP, NAD, and NADH. Niacin deficiency results in the classic triad of dementia, dermatitis, and diarrhea, known as pellagra. On an exam, if you see that triad, dementia, dermatitis, and diarrhea, you know it's pellagra, you know it's niacin deficiency, or vitamin B3 deficiency. Our board's insider tip for this question is niacin, which is used as a drug in the treatment of hypercholesterolemia sometimes produces cutaneous flushing. Niacin activates dermal Langerhan cells, causing increased prostaglandin release and thus vasodilation. On the boards, you can prevent this cutaneous flushing by giving aspirin prior to administering niacin. Aspirin works by altering the activity of COX-2 to decrease prostaglandin release. And here is the next question. A 26-year-old male presents to his primary care physician complaining of recent onset fatigue, weakness, and tingling in his feet. Review of systems is negative for weight loss, 
hemoptysis and hematemesis, bloody stool, or recent illness. He denies any history of gastrointestinal disease, autoimmune disease, neurological disease, or trauma. He does not drink alcohol or use recreational drugs, but does report that he follows a strict vegan diet, which he began about six years ago. Physical exam reveals glossitis and decreased vibratory sense in his feet. A peripheral blood smear is notable for macrocytic red blood cells and hypersegmented neutrophils. What other laboratory finding will be present? Is it A, increased methylmalonic acid, B, decreased homocysteine, C, decreased tetrahydrofolate, D, increased methionine, or is it answer choice E, increased succinyl-CoA? The correct answer is A, increased methylmalonic acid. This patient has a vitamin B12 deficiency. The biggest hint toward the diagnosis comes from the fact that he is a strict vegan and because vitamin B12 is found in animal products, strict vegans who do not take B12 supplements can develop a deficiency. Another clue is that he started his vegan diet six years ago. Since the liver has large stores of B12, it takes years for a B12 deficiency to develop. The challenge in this question was to distinguish a B12 deficiency from a folate deficiency. The presenting symptoms of fatigue and weakness, plus the physical exam finding of glossitis, and the peripheral blood smear findings of macrocytic RBCs and hypersegmented neutrophils are consistent with both folate and B12 deficiencies. The determining factors are the peripheral neuropathy, tingling and decreased vibratory sense in the feet, since B12 is involved in myelination and deficiencies can cause peripheral neuropathy, and the history of strict veganism since vegan diets are deficient in B12. Answer choice A, an increased MMA distinguishes a B12 deficiency from a folate deficiency since the homocysteine levels are elevated for both deficiencies, but MMA is high in B12 deficiency and normal in folate deficiency. This is because B12 is required for converting MMA to succinyl-CoA. With low B12, MMA accumulates. Answer choice C, decreased tetrahydrofolate, is seen in folate deficiency. Answer choice D is incorrect because in both folate and B12 deficiencies, methionine is decreased, not increased. Finally, answer choice E is incorrect because B12 is required to convert MMA to succinyl-CoA, so levels of succinyl-CoA will actually be decreased. And now, our audio blog reading, thanks to our friends at MedSchool Tutors. Welcome back, Boards Insiders. This is Chase DeMarco with two more articles from MedSchool Tutors. The first, titled, Improving Your Score During the Final Two Weeks of Your USMLE Preparation, by Dr. Christopher Karuba. As I have said previously, the final 10 to 14 days of your USMLE study period can make or break your score. The best scores typically belong to students who utilize these final days to tackle high-yield topics, fine-tune areas of weakness, and both mentally and physically prepare for their exam. But what else can you do? Given that the USMLE is coming up for many of you, I decided to add 10 more suggestions to my prior post. Hopefully this can help you maximize your exam score. 1. If you've created one, make sure to review your UWorld journal. 
Two, review high-yield memorization content. This includes biochemistry, nutrition, genetics, inborn error of metabolism, lysosomal storage diseases, and glycogen storage diseases, immunology, immunodeficiencies, hypersensitivity reactions, autoantibodies, transplant rejections, and immunosuppressants. Pharmacology. Know the mechanisms of action and side effects for every single drug. Musculoskeletal. Nerve injuries. Neurology. Stroke syndromes. Localized lesions. And visual field deficits. Don't forget how effective flashcards can be for this kind of drilling. We strongly recommend Memorang's deck. 3. Complete your question bank. Ideally, you can utilize this time to finish a second pass through your world and review your incorrect questions. You can also consider adding the Kaplan question bank in order to continue seeing new, fresh content. 4. Fine-tune your test-taking strategy. Evaluate your performance for any timing issues and address them accordingly. Review how you will handle questions you are uncertain of and how you plan to incorporate this process of elimination. Visualization will lead to actualization. 5. Review any organ systems that you're nervous about. For USMLE Step 1, many students will benefit from a quick pass through cardiology, endocrinology, reproductive, and neurology. If you are scared that something might appear on the test, make sure that you devote a significant amount of time towards that subject. 6. Step 1 students begin reviewing the rapid review section at the end of first aid. This will refresh you on a lot of high-yield content and is always useful for adding some points to your score. 7. Memorize your biostats equations. If you've put this off, make sure to start focusing on it as soon as possible. You should be cramming this section 24 to 48 hours before your test. Step 2 CK students review the online med-ed videos if you need a refresher on any particular content area. Also, make sure to review some of the Step 1 material that tends to appear on Step 2 CK. This includes pharmacology, particular cardiac, psych, heme onc, neuro, and antibiotics, biochemistry, nutrition, genetics, and diseases associated with biochemical processes, immunology, immunodeficiencies, and some microbiology. 9. Avoid stressors. Don't get caught up in what your peers are doing or information posted on internet forums. Stressing over what others are doing is only going to cause you to deviate from your plan and throw off your game. Trust the process. It has gotten you this far. 10. Believe in yourself. You are smart enough, dedicated enough, and talented enough to have gotten this far. Having confidence in yourself is crucial for attaining a high score. The second article for today is, Now That's What I Call High Yield Biochemistry, by Brian Radovensky. How would you describe studying for Step 1? Is it internalizing data, or would you call it pattern recognition? Is it retaining facts or applying knowledge? Likely all of the above. But at some level, studying for Step 1, or any exam for that matter, is about triaging information. In your 800 pages of first aid and 2,000 plus questions in UWorld, leaving aside hundreds of flashcards and possible second question banks, your task is to learn as much as possible. Hanging on to the entirety of this information is an impossibility. At some point, you need to be happy with having an acceptable handle of the material. While aiming for this good enough status might feel like you're selling yourself short, Many students will express a feeling of having hit capacity and find it difficult to put more info into a fact-laden noggin. 
How much is enough? Our incredible neuroplasticity would argue that with enough time, all of this data could be learned and held onto. It is indeed finite. But the two or three years of medical school leading up to step one is probably not enough time to figure out everything. At some point, you will need to focus on what is high yield. This is a difficult prospect for someone who has never taken the test. How do you know what's important enough to demand more intense focus? And what is factoid fluff? Here are some high yield topics. DNA replication, mutation, and repair, 8 out of 10. The nice thing about this section is that by now, it should be old hat. You've been learning about DNA since 8th grade. Perhaps not to this level of knowledge, but the paradigm has been cemented year after year. It is certainly worth integrating the continuum of replication, transcription, translation, mRNA, tRNA, and rRNA. It is, after all, the magic of getting the genetic code to active proteins. Cell structure and collagen, 6.5 out of 10. It behooves you to know how a cell works, how each organelle serves a function, and the relationship between them. Again, an age-old academic concept by this point. Collagen, its synthesis, and more importantly, the role in clinical disease, osteogenesis imperfecta, alostanlos, is quite useful. Modes of inheritance, 7 out of 10. Pedigrees, get comfortable with all of those square circles and inheritance patterns. You must know what an autosomal dominant versus an X-linked recessive inheritance patterns and others look like. Not only that, but compartmentalizing these diseases by their inheritance patterns helps you tease out diagnosis from pedigrees. That is, keep all of your autosomal dominant diseases in one box and your autosomal recessive diseases in another. Classic genetic diseases, 8.5 out of 10. Knowing the specifics for the genetic diseases that get tested over and over again is essential. Cystic fibrosis, your classic autosomal recessive deletion, muscular dystrophy, the picture of an X-linked frame shift nonsense mutation, Huntington's disease, a trinucleotide repeat, and Down syndrome, the paradigm for trisomy. These diseases are excellent teaching models for how genetic errors express themselves phenotypically. Knowledge of these diseases and their counterparts go a long way. Vitamins and nutrition, 7 out of 10. Oh, vitamins, there are too many. They've got nondescript names, and they are as essential as their knowledge. While a lack of vitamin knowledge won't give you a disease, perhaps low scoremia, nutritional deficiencies of them will. It's important to know these very testable diseases, such as pernicious anemia, pellagra, scurvy, wernicke korsakoff rickets, etc. As a general rule, any biochemical connection that can be made to a clinical problem is higher yield than the simple step in a pathway. Biochemical pathways, 4.9 out of 10. I've yet to work with a student who loves memorizing pathways. In fact, it's the bane of most. Some pathways are more important to integrate into your knowledge framework than others. Glycolysis and gluconeogenesis are on the higher side of the scale. The TCA cycle and urea cycle are also very important. And more important than committing every single step and enzyme to memory is understanding the big picture of the cycle and how it fits into bodily processes. Understanding gluconeogenesis' role in starvation and recalling that metformin inhibits gluconeogenesis, thus helping diabetics, is of higher use than remembering how to get from 1,3-BPG to 3-PG and back. G6PD deficiency, another biochemical pathway with clinical implications, is also up there. 
The lesser-known metabolic diseases like maple syrup urine disease, alcaptonuria, and cystinuria are not quite as important. We'll get to glycogen below. Catecholamine synthesis, 6.5 out of 10. A pretty important tidbit, as catecholamines are pretty essential for life, and you will feel their sweet buzz on test day for sure. Glycogen, 7.5 out of 10. This one ranks high not only for its role in energy production and storage, but also for the diseases that result from issues with storage. Again, the big picture flow from glucose down to glycogen chains and glucose liberation from a glycogen chain are more important than the individual steps in the pathway. As annoying as they are, devote some time, optimally close to test day, for the more crammable glycogen and lysosomal storage diseases. Their clinical presentations are rung higher on the high-yield ladder than the individual enzymes involved. But as always, the more complete you know something, the better off you'll be. Remember, as a whole, biochemistry won't be as represented on the test as more clinically relevant material. So don't let your frustrations with it derail your studying. If you can't redraw every reaction, you are not alone. You can still get a solid score without perfection of these annoyances. That's all we've got this time. Thanks for listening. Subscribe to the Inside the Boards podcast so you know when we release new content to help you study smarter, not harder. And thanks to Augustine Beeman, my incredibly creative 12-year-old son, for letting us use the tune King Jeff and his apprentice Bart on our podcast. So thanks, Augustine.